Arlo is obsessed with garbage trucks lately. Not fire trucks, not police cars, not motorbikes, garbage trucks. Yep. We walk out to the curb every single week so that Arlo can watch the guy pick up the bin and dump it in a truck as we're washed with the smell of all of our neighbor's trash from that week. <laughs> and really, it's my fault. I bring the, the bin up from the curb to the house most times, and I started taking Arlo with me to help because I'm, tr I'm really just beginning the training so that one day he'll take over the chores of the house. And I was like, well, you got to start early. So I started doing that, and then he just got obsessed with it. He just can't. He can't get enough. Let me give you an example of this. We, a couple weeks ago, we went to a new park over here on 27th and 12th Street. Brand new park, brand new swings, balls everywhere, kids playing on the playground. And guess what Arlo locked his eyes on? Just take a look. We are at the playground with basketballs, water fountains, kids, and your son wants to drag a trash can. Where did we go wrong? I, we literally took a trash can on a walk <laughs> and we walked around the park and delivered it right back to where it was. Every week we go to the curb and we watch as this mystical garbage truck wafts down the street and I tip the bin down just like you saw in the video and Arlo helps me take it up to the house. Now, little does Arlo know that he's not actually doing anything. Like I am the source of all of the power. I am the one who's actually doing the work, but he is completely convinced that he is contributing in some way. And as I was thinking about this Holy Spirit series, I thought, man, this is eerily similar to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Our true power as followers of Jesus is not in what we can accomplish. We think it is. We're convinced it is. But it's actually on what the Holy Spirit is able to do through us. Which leaves a question to wonder, what could we actually accomplish if we could tap into the power that's been promised to us of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day -day living? Now, of course, Many of us recognize that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's not as easy as just turning on a switch to access its power. And the reason we're very aware of that is because likely, like me, you feel like, I don't know if I've ever felt empowered by the Spirit to do great and bold and mighty things, at least not on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm just trying to stay alive. I'm just trying to keep my mind intact. I'm just trying to get my job done and raise my kids right. We have the Spirit, we can have the Spirit, and we could potentially not utilize its power. I think this is a little bit of what Paul was talking about last week when he said to not quench the Spirit. So how, how do I tap in to the power of the Holy Spirit in my day-to-day -day living? Because what we want is what was prayed over us, essentially. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive, what? Power. You shall receive what church? 
power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we want, right? We want power. We want to feel powerful. So how do we do it? How do we access the power of the Spirit? What, I'm, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you five attributes of those who are filled with the Spirit and attached to those attributes, I want to give you pretty practical things that you can start doing starting today so that you can align yourself with somebody who's filled with the Spirit. Now, here's my warning label at the beginning. These things are going to seem simple. They're going to seem easy. They're going to seem like things that you've done your entire life. But whenever you do them for real, you recognize that they are a lot harder than you might want to admit. Let me just give you those five attributes right here at the beginning. This is what we're going to talk about this morning. Those filled with the Spirit learn to attack, not agree with the enemy. Those who are filled with the Spirit know how to be courageous, not cowardly. Those who are filled with the Spirit know how to serve people, not fear people. Those who are filled with the Spirit clean out their heart regularly. And those who are filled with the Spirit are mission-minded, not ambition-driven. So let's dive right into that first one. Those who are filled with the Spirit learn to attack, not agree with the enemy. You know, the, the lines are blurring between those who are of Jesus and those who are of the world. Perhaps the world calls Christians hypocrites. One of the reasons be, is because the world seeks something different. They've been promised something different. But whenever they look at a Christian versus a non-Christian, they don't actually see a difference. In our journey of faith, there is no room for ambiguity. There is no room for half-commitments. Because if you allow the enemy to have a foot in the door of your heart, he's already in the house. Every thought, every decision, every action of a Christian, it matters. It matters in some way. It's impacting you in some way. Now hear me clearly. You, as a follower of Jesus, you are no better than anybody else in the world. I am no better than anybody else in this community. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better, we strive to be better. So how do we attack the enemy instead of finding ourselves agreeing with the enemy? Well, I want to give you three things that the enemy hates. And if you just start doing these things regularly, you're going to be actively fighting against the enemy. First thing that the enemy hates is the enemy hates when we are in communion with God. The enemy hates whenever we seek God's wisdom. The enemy hates whenever we are gathered with other believers. Let me break those down a little more practically. At the Vero Beach Church of Christ, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe prayer actually changes things in the world. We believe that if Christians were not praying, things would not happen in the world. That it is through our prayers that things take place. We believe in the power of prayer. It's in our covenant. I will support the core mission of my church by one of the things, praying consistently. James talks about the prayer of a righteous person has power. 
power. What good is power if it didn't actually make change in the world? You see, prayer is a recalibration of intention. Prayer is a recalibration of intention. It's no longer what I desire, but it's what God needs of me. We believe in the power of prayer. Here's another thing the enemy hates. The enemy hates whenever we seek God's word for wisdom. This is also in our church covenant. I will serve in the ministry of my church by, the first thing, studying God's word. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the rumination process. Y'all remember this? How a cow will eat grass and chew it and swallow it, but then he's not done. He'll regurgitate that and he'll chew it some more and he'll swallow it again and he'll repeat this process, not, not because he's disgusting and he likes to make us feel gross, but because he's trying to get every drop of nutrients out of that piece of grass. When scripture says we are to meditate on scripture, it's literally the same word as ruminate. We are to chew on scripture all day, bringing it back up to pull out every bit of nutrients. That's why I think in your Bible, when you read through it and you get to the very end in Revelation, the very last scene is a garden, only to invite you to go back to the beginning where you are back in a garden. You're meant to repeat and ruminate on Scripture We believe it has power in today's world, in our life. It's alive and it has instructions for us. Here's another thing the enemy hates. The enemy hates whenever we get together. And not just for worship, especially for worship, but not just for worship. How many of you came to the 4th of July celebration? Raise your hand. Yeah. Wasn't that a blast? Wasn't that amazing? Our young adults did a great job, but it was just a good time to be with our church. And you were most likely in that eating pie and enjoying outside and seeing kids laugh and all of your worries were gone. Sure, whenever you left, they came back. But in that moment, you felt love, you felt community, you felt how you were designed to feel because the enemy hates it when you are in community because... We are better when we are together. This is why this is also in our church covenant. I will protect the unity of my church by attending faithfully. We don't just mean sitting here this morning. We mean in all that we do because we're fighting against the enemy. There is no sitting on the fence in your faith. Every indecision you make is a decision you are making in your life in your faith. Every indecision you make is a decision. You have to decide every single day to be a good father and to be a good husband, to be a good mother, to be a good wife. You have to decide that. You have to choose to stop sleeping around with that person and to get into a committed relationship with them. That is a choice you have to make. You have to choose to delete social media off your phone because it's consuming you and to open up God's word instead. You have to make a choice to pray for your friends because they're not going to pray for you. To share your testimony, even though it's going to make you vulnerable to the people you love the most. To invite your coworker to worship because they actually want to be invited, but nobody is willing to go with them. You have to choose. Every indecision is a decision, and it's intimidating. 
It takes a lot of courage to do these things in our day-to-day life. But here's the good thing is that the Spirit provides us with that courage. A person filled with the Spirit, our second attribute, knows how to be courageous, not cowardly. You see, the Holy Spirit actually leads us to do what seems to be fairly radical and out of our comfort zone things. In fact, the Holy Spirit is emblazoned whenever we do things outside of our comfort zone. This reminds me of Acts chapter 4. This is after Jesus' ministry, his death, crucifixion, his resurrection, and his sending off. He returned and he sent off his disciples to go and be the first church. And they're doing just that. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, the ones who killed Jesus, they're still trying to squash this Jesus revolution that's going on. And they are watching as Men like Peter and John, who are ordinary fishermen, are boldly preaching about a resurrected Jesus. And they are blown away by this, by their boldness, by their relentlessness. I mean, these guys, they're arrested, they're falsely accused, they're thrown into prison, and they will not relent. Jesus is the Messiah. And you're sitting here thinking, man, that's pretty bold. I don't know if I, don't know if I could do that. Well, you haven't seen anything yet. Check this out. They're released from prison. They go home to their friends and their family, and they're telling them everything that God is doing. Yeah, man, we're preaching Jesus. It's still making people mad. We're being persecuted for our faith. God gave us the courage. And it says that the early church, they got together, and they started praying. And check out what they prayed. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. These spirit-filled people did not pray for protection. They prayed for power. They didn't pray, God, deliver me from all of this evil. Don't let it come upon us. Do not allow us to be persecuted. They said, God, bring it on and give us the power to survive it. Francis Chan, great boldness. Francis Chan talks about a time he was, uh, Francis Chan is a, a Christian author. He was a pastor. He's led a lot of different movements. You probably read some of his books. He was talking to uh, a pastor in China who was leading a network of churches. Now, one time, churches had to be underground. Um, and there was, a, there was a period when the government kind of loosened their grip. And this pastor leading these churches in China decided I'm going to try bringing it above ground and just see what happens. And good things happened. The church grew to thousands of people. Now, the government came in and recognized what was happening. There's a lot of Christians here, and they shut it down again, and they hauled off the pastor. So Francis Chan is talking to this guy leading these churches about that moment. And he told Francis, in hindsight, he was actually grateful that the government came in and shut everything down. Why? Because he said, it brought us back to our DNA. He said, we started to lose it whenever structure came into the equation. By having a large service, people came in and they came in to listen to a sermon. And once you get custom to merely sitting and listening and consuming, it gets harder and harder to stir people to action. So he said, We think God actually came and tore us down so that he could build us back stronger. 
I looked up this church in China about their five pillars, kind of like our church covenant I just showed you. Like, what do they stand on? What are their standards? And we track pretty tightly with the first three, right? Their first pillar is a deep, deep commitment to prayer, that God is going to do amazing things. The second one is uh, it's, it's all about speaking and reading God's word, about being actively involved in God's word. The third pillar that they stand on is that everybody shares the gospel. It's not just the preacher on Sunday morning, but everybody's involved with sharing Jesus's message. Again, we align fairly tightly with those first three. Here's the fourth pillar of five. A regular expectation of miracles. Now, because of their prayer life, because they believe the Holy Spirit is moving and active, they had an expectation of the supernatural. They didn't put what that would look like, what that means, how you would interpret it, but they are waiting and expecting God to move and to do something, something I'm working on in my own life. And then the fifth pillar completely blindsided me. This man leading these churches in China said, our fifth pillar for leading our church is we embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. That's what their church is built on. Embracing suffering. Suffering for this church was the plan. It's not an unexpected or an inconvenience. It is the plan. We will suffer and we will suffer for Jesus. A lack of boldness or courage or suffering in your life might be a sign that you're not utilizing the Holy Spirit. So how do we counter that? If you feel like, okay, maybe I'm not using the Holy Spirit, but I want to, what can I do? I'm going to give you a simple thing that you can do. And it's a very simple prayer. It's the wildest prayer that you may ever say, but it's four words. God, make me bold. God, make me bold. Say it with me, church. God, make me bold. Now, one day you'll have to pray that for you, not just repeat it. You will have to say that prayer for you. God, make me bold because courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to act despite of it. A courageous heart, to have a courageous heart, we have to intentionally step outside of our comfort zones to take risks for God. I read a story about a man who couldn't swim last week, who drowned. And he drowned because he jumped into a lake to save two kids who were drowning. That's courage in the face of fear. For, courage is not the absence, it's in the face of it. So you may be here this morning saying, I need to talk to my neighbors about Jesus. I want to introduce them to something different, something more in their life. I have a strong relationship with them, but I don't know how to even take that first step. God, make me bold. I need to share my testimony with a friend. But I know if I do, it's going to show all of my cracks and all of my weaknesses, all of my failures. And I'm scared that whenever they see that side of me, they want to have nothing to do with me anymore. God, make me bold. Somebody needs to step up and serving in this portion of the church. Somebody needs to be teaching our children about Jesus or working in the nursery or greeting at the doors or going on mission trips or serving 
in this capacity, God, make me bold. It is only by challenging ourselves to go beyond what feels safe that we actually utilize the Holy Spirit. It's only then. Otherwise, it's our spirit we're operating by, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit transforms our fears and turns them into opportunities of growth. And God doesn't consult our appearance, our opinions, our fears. He just calls us. He calls us up to something different. He gives us boldness by his spirit. Can you think of the last time you did something bold for the kingdom of God? If you can't, you're not alone. And maybe you're operating and living more by your spirit than the Holy Spirit. God, make me bold. Present me with the opportunity to be bold today. God, make me bold. Those filled with the Spirit know how to serve people, not fear people. Now, whenever I say fear people here, I don't mean physical harm fearing physical harm by people. I mean instead the fear of acceptance. You see, we cannot be people pleasers if it's hindering our faith in the process. Now, that also doesn't give us freedom to be domineering and arrogant as we try to cast our divine knowledge on the world either. But the gospel does not make us quiet. We are not bashful about the gospel. We believe a couple things. We believe Jesus was a historical person that walked this earth. We believe that that man died a perfect, lived a perfect life and died a perfect death at the hands of the Romans. We believe that after death, he conquered it, rising from the dead, and he provides his believers with the same hope for our destiny. In a, in a confident belief in those three things, is going to make you look strange to the world. And I don't imagine that's going to change anytime soon. But Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everybody who believes. And that confidence in the gospel needs to shine through in how we lead people. Now, you might be saying, whoa, 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 Peyton. I'm not a leader. Like, let's just back up a couple of steps. I don't actually lead anybody. Like, you don't know I'm the lowest in my family. I'm the lowest in my job title. Nobody actually respects me. I don't have any capacity of influence in my life. And it's just simply not true. So stop telling yourself that. Everybody has influence. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter your position, what direction your life is going, you are both influencing and being influenced by people constantly. The person who's driving in front of you is influencing the speed that you're going. That person who cuts you off in traffic is influencing your attitude. Whenever you're checking out at the grocery store, the clerk is influencing you and you are influencing them in some capacity your influence is always changing. It's never static, but you are influencing. And here's the thing. As people filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to have an influence on this world that the world cannot get anywhere else. 
as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to have an influence on the world that the world is unable to access from anywhere else. Leadership, the best definition of leadership I've been given, leadership is taking people to places they would not go without your leadership. Henry Ford once said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for faster horses, not cars. People don't know necessarily what they want. Leadership is taking people places they would not go if they didn't have your leadership. In the same way, by the power of the Spirit, we have to show the world what the world actually wants. Not what the world thinks it wants, but what God desires for the world. And here's the irony. That actually aligns with their desires. They just might not quite know it yet. So how do we do this? We do this in how we serve people. In how we love people. Stop trying to please people. Just serve people. Stop compromising your integrity, your values, your beliefs for a world that lacks clarity on its own desires. You have what the world desires, and it's nothing inside of you, but it's everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what the world actually wants, so give it to them. Freely give them that power in the way you live your life, in the way you love radically, and in your day-to-day influence. People filled with the Spirit clean out their heart regularly. We act different in situations. I'm going to actually need a volunteer for this. So I asked Zach if he would join me. Zach is a friend of mine, which is important for me to say here at the beginning that he is a friend of mine. Zach, you're just going to stand right here. And I just want you to hold good, firm grip on that. And I just want you to hold it up here to your heart. Just like that. Perfect. Okay, so... This water bottle is going to represent Zach's heart and his character and his integrity. And every single one of us has our own heart, has our own integrity, has our own character. And the question we have to answer as Christians is why does God allow people in our life to come and navigate in our life who are nothing like us? What is God doing in my day-to-day lives whenever I'm interacting with the opposite of me? people who are causing us trouble. Let's just go with some easy examples. Your sibling who is your rival in life and y'all butt heads all the time. That person who cuts you off in traffic has no kind of concern for what you actually want or where you're going is just solely focused on them. The people, the, the keyboard warriors on social media who'll say anything behind a screen but nothing to your actual face. These people we seem to disagree with. They may be your enemies. They may undermine you. Why does God allow this to happen? For people to just navigate, to come in our life and do this. Why does he do that? I mean, and these people, they just don't stop. They just keep bumping us over and over again, frustrating us until they've made an absolute mess of the situation. Why would God allow this? And here's what happens. Here's what happens is we're, we're doing this. You got to hold it out a little bit because then I get a real splash. <laughs> we're doing this and what happens, and I warned Zach, he might get mad. He didn't know what he was signing up for, but I said, you might get mad at me. 
is that's what happens is as this splashes and as people bump us, we get angry. All of this stuff is coming out of our heart and we can't control it. It's splashing over us. It's splashing over them. It's everywhere. It's anger. It's greed. It's selfishness. It's like what Saul does in the Old Testament. He has the spirit of God. He's focused on kingdom work. And then all of a sudden people start hurting him or taking things away from him. And he's like, okay, I'll give you a piece of your own medicine. You want to be angry with me? I'll be angry back to you. Tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye, right? And we just keep going over and over again. Here's the thing, though. Why does God allow this to happen? Well, maybe because God sees something in our heart that's not supposed to be there. Maybe this is his way of just getting it out. Maybe it's a way of opening your eyes of what is actually living inside of there. Because what do we say? We'll say, you did this to me. You made me angry. You brought this out of me. But the reality is that anger was already living inside of you. It was already corrupting you. It was already doing stuff. They're just exposing the truth about who you are. Those who live by the Spirit are constantly clearing themselves. We're getting a new stage one day. I'm trying to expedite the process. We cleanse ourselves daily. Here you go. Go ahead. Hold it nice and firm. So that whenever we navigate, because people are not going to stop bumping into you, but now whenever they bump, there's no longer a splash zone around us. It's just the inconvenience of the bump. Thank you. There's a towel right there. <laughs> yeah, give it up for Zach. We must consistently be cleaning out the filth of our hearts. And this is not a one and done action, but a daily commitment. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we no longer harbor feelings of anger or greed or lust or hate or selfishness in our hearts so that it can, it's waiting to splash onto people whenever they do stuff to us. We shouldn't get angry and lash out at people because there's not anger harbored inside of our heart. People shouldn't cause us to lust because lust hasn't got a grip on my life. As people who live filled with the Spirit, every day we are cleansing it out, getting the filth out so that we are more like Christ. Those filled with the Spirit, this is the last one, will be mission-minded, not ambition-driven. You know, the Bible describes, and we've read a couple of those passages, the power that we have access to. And man, it just seems almost like a discrepancy whenever I compare the promise that's been given to me to my actual life. In fact, for some people, this actually create, creates doubt in their life. They're like, well, the, I'm promised power. I don't see power. So obviously something's wrong. I'll just say this is wrong. But let me suggests to you that perhaps the Bible is accurate and instead we've gotten really good at just domesticating our faith. At just getting really comfortable at playing church and not being the church. So then rather than producing powerful and fearless missionaries to go out into the world, and I don't just mean Liberia or Antigua, I mean across our neighborhood streets. We've just gotten really good at being busy busy. 
our major concern is our family and keeping them safe. Like that's the highest calling God has given to us. And I'm not saying I want to keep my family safe too. But does my life look any different than if I was living solely for my own comfort and my own happiness? Let's go back to Saul. Let me remind you about Saul one more time. In the Old Testament, Saul had access to God's spirit. And whenever he had access, his heart was on fire for producing salvation and cleaning people out and restoring God's order in the world. And then tragically, God's spirit leaves Saul and his focus shifts. It shifts away from God's kingdom and it moves more towards his own kingdom. And this is very similar to the way people are living. We're ambition-driven, consumed by ambition, and I myself am guilty of this. Obsessed with title and rank and leadership positions that the moment those things are taken away from us, we are in a tailspin because all we want is control. But we forget what Paul says of the power that you actually do have that cannot be taken away from you. You can quench it, but you have access to it. He says, I pray you would know this, this incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, look at this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Focus in on that, that incomparably great power, the same power that resurrected Jesus is the power you have access to. That power is meant for you. You have access to it. But that isn't something that you can just teach in a sermon and get. That power, access to it, requires real prayer. That type of faith requires the Holy Spirit. That type of faith requires us to stop catering to comforts and desires. That type of faith requires consistent reading of God's word, of cleansing out our heart. That type of faith requires me to pray, God, make me bold. We are capable of so much more. We are like ferocious beasts, caged up, ready to be released in the wild. We are to be mission-minded, looking outward, not ambition-driven, looking inward. A summary of what we have done. Living by the Spirit is not as easy as flipping on the switch. You may have the Spirit. You may not be accessing the power of the Spirit. It's hard work. But there are attributes of the Spirit that those filled with the Spirit have. And there's things we can do on a regular basis to tap into its power. Those filled with the Spirit learn to attack, not agree with the enemy. Every decision we make, every indecision we make, is a decision towards our life and our faith. We, those filled with the Spirit, know how to be courageous, not cowardly. And courage is not in the opposition of fear, it is despite it. We face fear with boldness. God, make me bold. 
Those filled with the Spirit know how to serve people instead of fear them. And we serve them through our leadership, through our influence, providing the world with the very thing it can get nowhere else and the very thing it desires. Those filled with the Spirit clean out their heart regularly. I don't think you'll forget that one, as I know Zach won't. Those filled with the Spirit are mission-minded not ambition-driven. We are looking outward rather than looking inward. As Christ church, let's pray together. Father, we pray for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let us open our hearts and invite the Holy Spirit to fill us anew, equip us, guide us every single day. God, I pray that we as a church, we will rely on the Spirit's strength, his wisdom, his guidance as we seek to live out these practices and be transformed into the image of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us and enables us to live lives that bring glory to your name. We come to you humbly asking that you fill us afresh with your spirit, that we may walk in your ways, that we may be effective witnesses of your love and your grace. Spirit, guide us, strengthen us, lead us on this journey, make us bold. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the spirit, your church said, amen.